In the long episode I deleted the other night, one of my regrets is that I was talking a bit about how the building that I work at is haunted, and so I'm going to revisit some of that. If you if you heard that episode, if you heard that episode, you, you already would have heard some of this, but I probably have other stuff to add. But yeah, I didn't think about it when I started working there. It's It's a big store building. It's a very large building. It was originally a grocery store, and then it was a furniture company, a different furniture company, but it's been empty for years now. And a spirit Halloween store has used it during Halloween time each year, but that's all that's been, that's the only business that's inhabited it, and those are just a pop-up thing. Those spirit Halloweens, they just pop up in September, and then they close in early November, I guess, or after Halloween. But it's this big building. It hasn't been well-maintained. It's pretty dirty. And now there's this furniture-slash-liquidation store there, of which I'm the manager. But I, my initial feeling wasn't, oh, this building's haunted. I can sense that this building's haunted. I just thought, this is an interesting building. There's some issues with it. But over the last couple months, I've, I, know that, I know that it's haunted. I know that it's a haunted building. But the first thing that made me think about the building at all beyond the fact that, oh, this is where I'm going to work now, was the day before it opened, I went there to help get ready and do all the stuff you do before opening day. And, and my boss was like, oh, yeah, just walk around the building, check it out, get familiar with it. And I went into the warehouse. And the first thing you see when you go in the warehouse is this giant stained glass window that was removed from an old Boston church. It's old. You know, this is, isn't some like modern recreation of an old stained glass window. It goes all the way to the ceiling. It's like two stories high. It's framed in very old wood, painted gray. And then it's a stained glass window. And so I noticed that and I, I asked my boss, I was like, what's up with the stained glass window? Because the liquidation side of our store sells all kinds of things, water heaters, whatever the owner buys, whatever the owner bids on. It could be anything. But it's typically merchandise, it's typically products, but every once in a while he'll, he'll get something weird. I've heard that some of the other stores will get hot tubs. But I, So my first thought was like, are we selling that? And I was like, no, there's no way we're selling that. And so I asked my boss and he's like, oh yeah, the, the guy who owns the building bought three of those many years ago and he had plans to put them on his house, but he never did. And so he keeps that one in this building. And anybody who rents the building has to keep it here. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. But I was just taken by it. Because there's something about that aesthetic, too. The aesthetic of a giant old stained glass window, two stories high, framed in old wood. There's something about the aesthetic of that inside of a warehouse that's perfect. I would prefer it to be in a warehouse more than I would out in nature, more than I would on an actual old building, an old church. There's something about seeing that by itself up against the wall in a warehouse that I like. I just like that aesthetic. But I was just like, that's special. I felt an immediate connection to it. I, you know, stained glass is cool. It's impressive, but I don't feel a strong personal connection to it. But I felt an immediate connection to this, and I started calling it the altar. And everybody notices it. Like when someone's new, they're like, oh, wow, what's that? What's the story there? 
but people don't discuss it regularly. I think I bring it up more than anybody, and it's not like I bring it up every day, but you know, once a week, once every two weeks, I, I just mention the altar. Because a stained glass window, a framed stained glass window that's two stories high, comes to a point at the top. It has a, a circular design at the very top. It's very typical in many ways of, a, of any stained glass window, but you know, on its own, it just becomes an altar. And so occasionally I'll just mention, oh, the altar. There's the altar. And me and some of the employees will just occasionally make a have a brief conversation about the altar. I think the altar needs to be acknowledged now and again. And I don't look at it every day. What's funny about that is it's so out of place. It's so unique. But everything can become mundane if you're around it too much or around it enough. And it's become mundane to people. You have these people who they get hired, they notice the altar, but then they go about their day taking things to and from the warehouse, and they don't think about the fact that there's this giant archaic altar just hovering in front of them, above them. I think I'm the one who gives it the most attention. But that was the first thing I noticed that was strange. Just, oh, that's, that's odd. There's this giant stained glass altar. But as things have gotten rolling, you know, just more things keep happening. I started to get a sense, just a sense. And then some little things happened where me and the woman who was working as our floor manager, we were closing together one night. We were the only ones in the building. And while we were counting the till, we kept hearing one of the toys talking. And I mean, I'm not making more out of this than it needs to be. Oh, creepy toy. Oh my God, it's a creepy toy. And it wasn't a baby voice. It wasn't your stereotypical creepy baby going, hi, hi. You know, it wasn't anything like that. But we just heard one of the toys talking on its own. And it was something that it, that wasn't happening during the day. It just started while we were counting the till. And we were trying to figure out what toy it was. But every time we'd get close to where it was, it would stop. So we couldn't figure out which one it was. Then when we'd walk away, it would start doing it again. We were just like, oh, that's a little weird. But when that kind of thing happens, especially involving a toy, like a creepy toy talking, I try not to acknowledge it. Like, don't acknowledge the creepy toy. But the lady I was with, who was, you know, a middle-aged Filipina woman, she was like, oh, it's so scary, you know. And the next morning I came in, opened the building, and we have these stacks of spare tires. It's just something random we got that we're selling. And like these towers of tires in the middle of the store and they had fallen and they were all over the place. It was just, the tires had just collapsed. They were just all over. And that was, I think the first time that anybody acknowledged the ghost. I was like, Oh, the ghost did it. We heard the toy talking and then we come in the next morning and the tires are everywhere. And of course you can rationalize that and say, Oh yeah. If, if you don't stack the tires, what we call stacking the tires properly, they can tumble. But that said, you know, tires are the definition of traction. So you, even if they're poorly stacked, they hold together pretty well. Tires are, you know, rubber tires are designed to grip things, to grip the road. So when you stack them, even if they're kind of off kilter, they grip really well. And, you know, I'll walk by them all day and I'll see that a customer was going through them and didn't stack them right. They don't fall. I'm actually, I, I'm not aware of a single instance, even when they're kind of 
leaning, even when it's a, you know, a leaning tower of tires, I'm not aware of a single instance where they've even a, a single one has fallen during the day. So it was kind of interesting that we come in, in, the, in, in and in the middle of the night, the tires just went everywhere. They got knocked everywhere. And I believe it would, actually, it, it would usually take a little bit of force to knock them over. Again, you can rationalize it. Oh, the tires weren't stacked properly. In the middle of the night, they just kind of fell. And it was a game of dominoes where this tire hit this stack of tires and they just went everywhere. It was a little weird, though, and I was joking with people. I was like, oh, the ghost did it. You know, when, when uh, Ella and I left last night, there was some creepy stuff going on, and the ghost did it. I was just kind of kidding. But then some other things were happening, too, where there was a night where she and I were closing together. She went back in the break room near the warehouse to get her stuff, and I went to the front of the building, and she came out, and she goes... Oh, I thought you were back there. I thought you were back in the warehouse. I heard you. And I said, no. I was like, I've been up front the whole time. And she goes, but I heard you. Like, I heard someone back there. And I said, it wasn't me. Huh. And the warehouse doesn't make noises. I've been in that building alone more than any other person. I've never heard noises back there. The heater doesn't make noises, you know, when you're back there. The heater wasn't even on. There's no rats to speak of. There's no animals or anything. But she was convinced. She's like, I heard you back there. I, I was waiting because I, I thought you were back there. And I was like, that's weird. But let's go. I didn't tell that I didn't tell anybody about that. And the next night, me and this other kid, he was helping me close. We were the only ones in the building. The same exact thing happened where I was in the front of the building waiting for him. He comes out of the break room, comes to the front and says, Oh, I heard you back there. I thought you were in the back. And I said, I wasn't in the back. And I was like, what's funny is that exact thing happened last night. And he was like, that's really weird. So people like, and you know, the way, both, the way both of them brought it up wasn't like, oh, I heard a noise back there. It was like, I heard you. I heard a person back there. The sounds that a person would make. And I was like, oh, this place is haunted. And so, and I'd gotten that sense too. Like there were some nights where I was there alone and while nothing has happened when I'm there by myself, which I'll, I'll kind of get into why I think that is, but while nothing's happened when I'm by myself, I get a feeling like it's almost a serenity. It's almost a Zen. And it's weird for me to think about because I, you know, I've locked up an office. I've, I've done some different, different jobs. I've very rarely been in a building by myself. I've never been in a store. And a store is a very interesting place to be by yourself at the end of the night because I lock all the doors when I'm counting the money and I'm just there. I don't spend any more time than I have to, but I'm just there by myself. And it's a very strange thing where I'm like, this store is in my care. Some, some managers would say, this is my store, but I'm just sort of like, the, I'm the steward. I'm just looking after this place. And uh, I've had a weird feeling when I'm there by myself. But I, I've never been scared. I just kind of have a feeling. And so I, I started talking about it with people. And I'm like, you know, th this place is haunted. Because a, a number of other people have brought that up. They're like, I feel like this place is haunted. And I'm like, it is. But I clarify for them. I'm like, it's not an evil ghost. It's not a bad ghost. 
but it's not a good ghost either. It's just a ghost. And I think that's probably more eerie than saying it's a bad ghost. Saying it's not a bad ghost, but it's not a good ghost either. It's, it's in this neutral gray area. This ghost exists outside of good and bad. I think that's probably scarier to people than if I just said, yeah, this is an evil ghost and it, it, it inhabits baby toys. You know, I think that me just saying it's just a ghost, not good or bad, is a little scarier. And just let me say about the whole baby toy thing. I've thought about that a lot over the years because people love to have like the creepy little girl. The creepy little baby toy. Oh, it's a it's creepy because people love to go do that creepy baby art. Oh, look at the creepy baby art. Oh, you know, people like to do that. And I've always felt it's just, I don't even have the word for it. It's not even cheesy. It's just there's something really terrible about that that approach because I could never even get into Trevor Brown or anything like that. The artist Trevor Brown, who draws like these little girls with a black eye or little girls with this solemn look on their face. I mean, I'm not even saying anything one way or another. I could just never get into that. I can never get into like creepy little girl stuff. I've kind of started to understand it though, because I was at a friend's house many years ago and she was making kind of bait. She was like doing things with baby doll toys. She was turning them into mutations and creepy stuff. And I realized, oh, this is a girl thing. Girls have a different connection to babies and little girls. And it makes more sense. They feel like a, like when they make creepy little girl art, they, they have a different connection to that. And it's not for me. And I don't want to look at it. I don't want to consume it. But women have a different connection to that. It makes sense to me. It just made sense. I was like, instead of just judging all that stuff and being like, oh, God, I hate creepy baby art, which I kind of do. I do. Not kind of. I do. I do hate that stuff. But I started to kind of understand, oh, with women, it's different. When women are into that or women make that, it's different. But anyway, tonight was an example of that where... Me and these two women were the last people there. And one of them goes, I just saw a little girl. She just, you know, stepped out from an aisle and like kind of waved her hands and then stepped back. And she's someone who's never said anything like that. She's this kind of like rough blue collar woman who's been nine, spent the last nine years recovering from meth. And she saw a little girl like standing at the end of an aisle and then the little girl kind of like waved her hands and then sidestepped so she couldn't see her anymore. And she knew it wasn't real, but she said she saw that. And then I was like, well, you know, Eric, there's another guy there named Eric. I was like, one night Eric and I were closing. He's one of the people who heard noises in the back. One of the people who heard noises in the back. But there was one night where he and I were standing at, at the cash register's finishing up closing and he looked and he goes, someone's here. Cause you know, it's always a concern. Like when we close, like did anybody, did any customers like, stay behind and linger and we just didn't see them? That's happened once or twice. He's like, someone's here. He goes, I just saw a guy. He went that way. And we both just closed in. It was just in the corner of the store. 
and we closed in, searched the entire area. There was no person. And I was like, what did you see? And he goes, I think I'm losing it. He's like, I saw a short man standing at the end of an aisle, and then he just sidestepped in that direction. And it's interesting that both of them, and she didn't, the, the woman who brought that up today, she never saw that, or, or she never heard that. She never heard the story that he saw something too. So it wasn't like she was just saying that to add more. Oh, I saw something too. She wasn't trying to do that. She was just like, I just saw a little girl. And uh, the guy, it was about a month or two ago, he had seen a guy. And he's a very rational, I mean, he's my, he's been my protege. He's, he's this very rational, even-keeled young man. I love him. But he, he saw a short man standing at the end of an aisle just like looking at us. And then he said he saw him just sidestep. Like I said, we scoured the area. Nobody was there. He's like, I think I'm losing it. And I think the fact that he saw a short man kind of speaks to the credibility. That's not something like if you saw a ghost, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's a short man. There's something kind of goofy. There's something kind of odd about that. Like I saw a short man. You know, if you're going to see a ghost, like, like a, squ a short squat man isn't the typical ghost. Oh, I saw a fat ghost. Usually if people see ghosts, they're, they're tall and thin. They're kind of wispy. But he saw like kind of a short, compact man, which added credibility to it for me. But this woman tonight, like, she didn't know about that story. And what's interesting is that she basically saw a little girl do the same exact thing that this guy saw a short man do. A short man do. So this standing, like facing an op the end of an aisle and then just sidestepping, which is the sort of something something would, like if that was a customer, they'd be deliberately screwing with you. That's not just a customer who didn't realize we were closed and was still shopping. That's something somebody would do if they were deliberately messing with you. And so they left. The women left, and I was alone in the store closing. And I, I, I was like, should I be scared tonight? But what's weird about all this is I've had no supernatural experiences there. I've had none. Yet I'm a firm believer I wholly believe that the place is haunted. And I don't believe it's haunted necessarily by like a tangible humanoid ghost, what we call a tangible humanoid ghost. You know, you can't define it. It's like I've said about God before. You know, we envision God as a man because that's the way we relate to God. We relate to God by experiencing God as if he were a man. And I think God relates to us in a similar way. I think God relates to us, you know, through the same channel. I mean, we do it with animals. We relate to animals that don't necessarily resemble us, but are similar enough to us. Animals look you in the eye. Animals know that your eyes mean something. That Animals know that you see them through your eyes. And so they look you in the eye. And we like animals that don't look like humans. We get freaked out. Like, I mean, I had a girlfriend who was couldn't even look at monkeys. 
she couldn't watch documentaries with monkeys in them. We did watch a, a monkey documentary once, but she couldn't look at monkeys. It just freaked her out because she was like, they're too similar. Not quite the uncanny valley, but kind of a similar thing where it's like they're almost human, but not. So if they're too close to humans, we don't like that. But we like dogs and cats and really any animal, zoo animals. We like them to have a pair of eyes, a nose, a mouth. We relate to them in that way. And people look at an animal like that and they're like, oh, look, he's he's making a face. We, we look at our dogs and we, we're like, oh, he's doing something kind of human. He's communicating this. We relate to other things and we don't relate to things when they don't have those qualities. Like, we might love plants, but we don't relate to plants. You know, you might respect bugs as living organisms, but you don't relate to bugs. You relate to creatures who have something in common with you. And you relate to God the same way, and you relate to ghosts that way, too. Even though ghosts are far more than just these white, translucent humanoids floating around you relate to the idea of a ghost and it's almost impossible to separate yourself from that you know it's almost impossible to separate the idea of a ghost from a humanoid presence and i think they do appear that way my friend nick and i many years ago we were drinking on the railroad tracks in our hometown and the railroad tracks are right in the middle of these woods called crest woods and Crestwoods was a place where we all went as kids. It was, it's by a couple of our schools. You cross the railroad tracks, and there's a little bit more woods that lead up to some houses where Nick's family lived. And Crestwoods was a party spot. Like, it's where we smoked weed a lot when we were teenagers. It's where other people would party. It's where people's parents jog if they go jogging. It's where people walk their dogs. Just this, it seemed like a huge forest at the time, but it's a small forest and uh, there's a darkness to it, though, too, where this classmate, this girl that we grew up with, we knew our entire lives, kind of friendly with at different times, the sort of person where if you see her out and about, you talk to her, didn't hang out with her. But she had an older brother who went into Crestwoods one night when he was a senior in high school. I think we were in eighth or ninth grade, ninth grade. And uh, he went into Crestwoods one night and he hanged himself. And it was a tree that overlooked this little valley deep in the woods where everybody smoked weed and partied. So in high school, we would hang out at that spot, and he was dead by that time, and there was a cross on that tree. But one night, you know, many years later, just probably six, seven years ago, probably less, five years ago, I don't know when it was, but I was hanging out with Nick, we, we would sometimes... I'd meet up with him at his parents' house when he was in town, and we'd take some beer and weed into the woods or under the railroad tracks, and we'd just drink and talk. And we were going back to his parents' house, and there's this big wooden, not wooden, but it's like someone turned the dirt on this hill into a, a, a very steep, long staircase, and they fortified the stairs with wood. And the moonlight was out, just some peripheral lighting, but it was deep in the dark woods. And we both saw a distinct shadow, like a very distinct silhouette of a man, a young man maybe, walking down the stairs. And we, we just thought it was a guy, and so we hid. We're like, oh shit, there's a guy. Not because we were actually scared. I mean, 
he and I together could take anybody who didn't have a gun. And uh, we, but we saw a man walking down the stairs, so we just we hid and watched. It's just kind of a fun, childlike, you know. What do you do when you see a person in the woods at night? You hide and you watch. We were kind of giddy about it, and so we we hid behind a bush, and we just waited and watched, and nobody ever appeared. And we went, and we investigated, and there was nobody. But we both saw, and we weren't wasted. We'd been drinking, but we, we weren't out of our minds. We both saw a very distinct silhouette of a man walking down these stairs. And we were like, what the fuck? It wasn't a hallucination. We just both saw it. And we both saw it at the same time. And we were like, that was Brad's ghost. The guy who hanged himself. You know, I get chills saying it. it sounds silly. Could have been another ghost too, but I was like, that was Brad's ghost. And what's weird is when that guy hanged himself, Nick and I went to those woods specifically to find the spot where he did it. We were 14 years old. And one day I, I walked to his house and we were like, it was like a standby me day where we were like, we're going to go find the spot. And standby me, they go, they're trying to find the dead body of this kid who went missing. That day we were like, we're going to go to the woods and we're going to find the tree where he hanged himself. And we did. And then a few years later, that's the spot we smoke weed under that tree. Not because of that, but because it was the best spot to smoke weed. And so it would be fitting that we would see Brad's ghost. And, he, and Brad was always a guy, he was few years older than us. He was very popular. He would get in trouble, but everybody liked him. He was, it was when rollerblading was really big. He was one of the best rollerbladers in town. You always like, you were always kind of kept abreast of what Brad was doing. He was adopted. His sister was Korean and she was adopted by white people. Brad was adopted as well, but he was white. And who knows who his real parents were, what happened to them, but he was adopted and he killed himself. And it was a huge event. I mean, it really, this guy had so many friends. His sister had so many friends. He was always somebody that you, you thought was really cool. Oh, Brad, Brad's kind of a, he's a nice, he, he was known for being very nice, but kind of a bad kid too. Did drugs, drank you know, dropped out of high school, but he just killed himself one night and hanging. Like the idea of seeing that guy around town my whole life. He was somebody I saw my whole life. Like, and he, he would do things like when I was in elementary school, he had already moved on to junior high and every year they would have the school carnival at the elementary school. And one year he brought down beer. He was only like 13 but he stole beer and he brought it down to the sixth graders and a bunch of the sixth graders got drunk at the school carnival. And it was this big controversy. The punishment was that they didn't get to graduate from the dare program, which was the anti-drug program. So he would do things like that. But anyway, we saw this just silhouette of a man walking down those stairs by himself. And we both clearly saw it. And then we hid and waited. It didn't go back up the stairs. It just disappeared. And we were both like, wow, what just happened? And it goes back, the only other time I remember that was 
when I was a kid, we came down here to Olympia to show my sister. My sister was going to be going to college down here. And so we drove down here and we were driving in this down a very dark wooded street late at night. And all of a sudden, I see a deer in the middle of the road and we're going to hit it. And both my sister and I at the same exact time screamed, stop. And my mom slammed on the brakes. There was no deer. And it was kind of a ghostly gray deer. It sounds silly to say that, but it was kind of a ghostly gray deer. And it was the weirdest thing because both my sister and I at the same exact moment saw a deer in the middle of the road and screamed simultaneously for my mom to stop. And there was nothing. But anyway, um, going back to the store, you know, I've told people, yeah, this place is haunted. And other people, they don't question it. They don't turn into internet atheists who are like, the ghosts aren't real. God's not real. Pro wrestling isn't real. Everyone kind of accepts it. And many people go, you know, I actually believe in that. This happened to me. Like tonight when that woman said she saw... Uh, a little girl in the store, which makes sense that a woman would see a little girl for that reason. I'm talking about creepy little girl stuff. Kind of it. creepy little girls mean something to women. But anyway, like after she saw that, I, we were talking a little bit. I was like, yeah, the building's haunted, you know, and it's not a bad ghost or it's not a good ghost either. And then this new girl we hired who I really like, she was like, well, you know, like I, I've had experiences like this happened. And then the woman who saw the little girl, she had something happen. And uh, most people I've found when we talk about this, they're believers. And I don't talk about it all the time. I don't push it on people. I just kind of remind people of it, especially when something weird happens. And... Uh, What's interesting, though, is that I haven't seen anything in the store. Like, I've been in the store by myself. I've been there late at night when it's closed, just walking around, checking things out in my zone, own zone, in my own zone. And I haven't heard or seen anything. But I, the entire time, though, I have a sense. I have this sense, like, this isn't just an empty store. But I, I've wondered, like, why am I not seeing anything? And I think because it doesn't really need to show itself to me. Like, I already know it's there. I'm not scared. I'm not, I, there's no bravado with me either. I'm not like, oh, I don't need to be afraid of this ghost. Like, I'm, I'm me. I'm me. I, there's no bravado. Like, I'm not afraid. I'm just aware of it. I'm just there. And, you know, I've been at a point in my life for a while, and especially now, where I very much relate to the idea where I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. You know, I'm a part of the world, but the world isn't inside of me. That's a, a spiritual idea, a spiritual idea that you'll hear now and again. You know, I'm, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And I see that play out at this place because something I wanted to get into is there's definitely a curse to the store where a lot of people, we've had a lot of people quit, we've had a lot of incidents, a lot of drama, and a lot of that's to be expected. 
but it's reached the point where it's like something else is going on. Like there's some stuff going on behind the scenes with certain people there that is creating somewhat of a toxic atmosphere that I unfortunately can't control, nor do I want to go into here. That's a factor, but I even see that as a symptom of something larger. Even though there are some issues going on that are that's causing negativity and toxicity that can't really be addressed openly, unfortunately. Even as the manager, it's something I'm just not really in a position to address right now. You know, that said, I don't even see that as... I see that as a symptom of something larger. And when I say cursed, I don't even think it's necessarily a bad curse. But I think it's something that everyone has to weather. I think if this this store, it's going to require people who can deal with that stuff. And even though some of the people have had issues that they've caused, as well as they've, they're simply reacting to some toxicity that's going on under the surface... I think that you need a certain toughness and not even toughness. Like these, these aren't, these aren't weak people who've had difficulty there, but I think it takes a certain, like, I think you have to be hardened to it in a certain way. And what's funny is my main man, this guy who he's a salesman who works directly for me. He and I spend all day together. He's a, a 53 year old black man. And he worked in that building many years ago. He worked for a different company in the same building, and he has all these stories about it. But he doesn't even really go into the stories very much. He, But very regularly, he's just like, this building, man. This building. And sometimes he'll share stories about... Because he, he's a guy who... This is something I really like about him. I love the guy, actually. But something I really like about him is... he's definitely He definitely sees the world as a story... And he, he, he remembers everybody he's ever known or worked with, and he, he talks to you about them. Like, we had a girl who worked here in this. But it's not somebody who's just, like, hung up on the past. It's just that you can tell, like, everybody this guy's ever known, even for a short time at old jobs, meant something to him. And he's a Gulf War veteran. He saw, you know, he saw conflict in the Middle East. He was part of that. And he, he was telling me the other day, he saw horrifying things. Like he saw a kid with who had half his face blown off. He saw a little kid in Kuwait with half his face blown off. So this guy's seen some real stuff. Which makes it even more impressive that even just working at a place, he sees everybody as characters. And not hollow characters, but like very real characters who he's going to remember. But he's always saying like this building... The things that have gone on in this building, which is funny because it, it makes it almost like this stereotypical thriller movie where I have the old black man who's like, he's been there longer than anybody. It's like the old black man who works at the hotel who's like, this hotel has spirits. You know, it, it's, a, it, it's a stereotype of like thriller and horror movies to have the old black guy who has some deep connection to the building. And knows everything. I have that in my life. A real guy. Who's not trying to be that way. And while some of what he says. Like this building. This building man. While some of that might just be some of the drama. And antics that took place there. When he worked there for a different company. You get the feeling like he's talking about something more. Like he knows the secrets of this building. He has some connection to it. 
and uh, so you know, so it's it's like that's going on too, where he's there, and like it's like something drew him back there because he lives in another city, like forty minutes away. But he comes there, and he you know he just sits with me, and we talk all day, and like it's like something drew him back to that building. And I don't think he's very happy there right now. I, I don't think he's he's really happy. Like he's very loyal to me. He'll do anything for me. But I don't even think he's very happy working there right now. I know he's not. But it's like there's something up that draws him there. He worked there seven years ago. And now he's back. Like something pulled him back into that building. Like we needed the the 53-year-old black man who knows the secrets of the building. Like we we needed him to come back. And he's back. And... Uh, you know, I was told something too. Like somebody said, like a year ago, when the store was empty, that a corpse was found in front of the building. There's some homeless camps not very far away, but I was like, "Wow, okay." I'm not even going to read into that. Like when I was told that, I was like, "I'm not even going to read into that." But they found a dead body. Like not murder. It's probably an OD. Probably just a homeless person from one of the camps who wandered in front of the store and OD'd. But uh, still, like a corpse was found in front of the building, you know, it's not nothing. We don't. That's definitely not nothing. So it sounds like weird things have always gone on in this building. Something really weird that happened on Sunday was we had this 29-year-old Filipino kid. We hired him a couple months ago. He'd never had a job before. He speaks very limited English. He's this very little guy. He has a ponytail. He wears a hat. He has a Dragon Ball Z keychain. 29 years old, never had a job before. But I said, what? let's give him a chance. Because this Filipino lady that worked for us overheard him in the store shopping and heard him speaking Filipino. So she was like, you want a job here? And he was like, yeah. So he started working for us. And I was like, okay, he's never had a job. It's a little weird, but we'll see how it goes. Ended up being one of the hardest workers we have. Just, he's a ninja. He doesn't talk to anybody. Just stocks the shelves all day. I can ask him to do anything. I just communicate with him in fist bumps. And this kid loved and respected me. He really, I could tell, like, as his boss, this kid was all in on me. And same for him. Like, I, I, you know, I told people, like, this guy's like, he's like one of my soldiers. Like, I can count on this guy for anything. And he became really close to this young Mexican kid who worked for us. And they would take their breaks together. There was one day where they were taking their break together. And they went out and they fixed the windshield wipers on the one kid's car. It was really cute. And I don't use that word about other men very often. But these two tiny little like five foot three, this five foot three chubby Mexican kid. And this little Filipino kid about the same height. Everything they do at work is together. They're always they're always standing next to each other, you know, stocking shelves, take their breaks and lunches together, a duo. And and they don't even speak the same language. The one kid doesn't speak English very well. They both love anime though. But the Mexican kid a couple of weeks ago quit. He went back to school. It was just too much for him, so he quit. The Filipino kid, he was having some issues with the Filipina lady. She was kind of trying to be his mom. She she got to know his parents, was like calling them. 
And her, his parents warned her, like, he'll cause trouble if you let him. And I was like, what? He's the hardest worker. He doesn't complain. He's there on time. He never calls out sick. He works all day in silence. He catches shoplifters. He's like this ninja we have. Just You barely see him. And you'll just see the entire set of shelves just suddenly stocked. But, you know, so he had this problem with her. She left. His friend also left. And I just start, I've started to notice the last couple of weeks that he's just been a little bit weird. Like sending me a lot of text messages about random things. Like I haven't gotten my pay stub yet. Well, your pay stub comes in the mail if you, in a few days. And just... You know, I told him, if you need anything, I'm always here. He loved me. He knew he could come to me if he had a problem with his supervisor, and he did. He did come to me about problems he had with his supervisor. But in the last couple of weeks, he's just been a little weird. Like, people have come to me, and they said, wait, I can't find him anywhere. And we have this room that we call the Red Room. Of course we have a room called the fucking Red Room. You know, of course, in this uh, this haunted store, we have a room called the Red Room. And it's just this, it used to be like a showroom. It has a little stage in it. It's a small little room with its own door. It's the only thing like it in the store. And it's red. The carpet or something inside is red. So we just call it the Red Room. But they're like, I can't find him anywhere. And I noticed that he's hiding in the Red Room. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not really worried about it. Like, when we have downtime, other people socialize and goof off. But since he's not really close to anybody, he just wants to go be alone in the red room. I'm okay with that. He's still doing his job. But I've noticed a couple times too, he's taken really long lunches. Like the people, the stalkers and cashiers, they get a 30-minute lunch a day. And a couple times I've noticed he's taken almost an hour-long lunch. He hasn't left or gone anywhere. He just clocks out, goes in the break room, and spends an hour in there. And I'm like, it's a little weird because I know like I don't take lunches or breaks. I'm just working 10 hours a day every day. But with him, it's like I don't really understand the idea because one of the reasons I don't take lunches is because it takes me five minutes to eat and I can just do it at my desk. But two, like if I'm at work, I want to get paid as much as possible. Companies make you take a lunch. So they one, because sometimes you need a break. But also because it's a, it's a half hour less of paid time. But, you know, when I'm at work, I, like if they, if they forced me to take lunches, I wouldn't take a minute more than I had to. So the idea of like taking an hour lunch is kind of weird because you're already at work. Why do you want even less paid time? But I was like, I'm not going to say anything to him about it. Maybe he's going through something. It's only happened a couple times. I'll see if it becomes a problem. And then about a, it's probably about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, he came to me and he goes, I'm sorry. I was like, for what? And he goes, pushing the carts. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, at Willie, I'm going to call this other guy Willie. He goes, I pushed the carts at, at, at Willie. And I said, you, you hit him? And he goes, no. But I was mad because he wasn't working. And so I pushed, he like, sounds like he, he took some of the carts they used to stock the shelves in the warehouse and just like slammed them into each other. But he said he didn't hit, he didn't hit Willie. Who's just this young black kid who's a slacker. I like him, but he, he you know, he's, I, I'm always having to keep an eye on him. I'm always having to keep him on task.
He's 18. He just doesn't give a fuck. But let's call the Filipino kid Edmund. Edmund saw Willie not working or something, and he got pissed, and he like slammed some carts into each other and made some noise, but he didn't didn't do anything to hurt anybody or damage anything, so I was just like, okay, it's kind of weird that he was that mad. But I just, they only work together one day a week, and Willie calls out a lot anyway, so they really barely work together. But so last Sunday, two days ago, Willie started seeing this girl who works there. It's kind of a distraction, but she's actually influenced Willie to work harder. She's the good, she's the nice, sweet girl. You know, she's trying to. She's now dating the the bad boy, and she's influencing him to care about work a little more. They get distracted sometimes. They take breaks that are too long. Sometimes I catch them not working, flirting. But overall, it's not. It's it's something I have to keep my eye on. But it hasn't been a problem. And if anything, it's kind of a net positive because Willie's now more invested. But I, I saw them in the break room together, Willie and the girl. What we call Willie and the girl. And they were just like taking their lunch together, or whatever, on their break. I didn't really. I said hi to him, whatever. And then about ten minutes later, the girl comes running to me gesturing for me to come she's like come here come here come here she's crying and i go i i my first thought is oh god a customer had a heart attack there's an emergency a customer just had a heart attack in the back of the store oh god and i go what is it and she goes it's edmund he just attacked willie and i was like what he what I, i was like physically and she's like yeah he attacked him he attacked him with this metal object. It was this metal toilet paper holder, like one of those ones that I, I, I've never understood why people have these, but it's like a, a like a long metal toilet paper holder. You you sit it on your bathroom floor and it holds the current, what we call the current roll of toilet paper, and then there's kind of a basket in the bottom to keep a few extras. You set it in front of your toilet. But it's it's like a long metal object, and you could really hurt somebody with it. And she's like, yeah, he attacked, like, we were in the break room, and we heard all this crashing and banging coming from the warehouse, and Edmund ran in, and he threw the, the metal object at Willie, and charged him, and, like, knocked him out of his chair, and, like, knocked all this stuff over, and then he was like trying to attack him with the metal object and then he put a hole in the wall and so the first thing i do is i check to make sure willie's okay and i go like are you okay and he's like yeah i'm just chilling i don't know what the fuck just happened i'm just chilling i look and sure enough there's a, a big indented circular hole in the wall and i'm like what and so i go i find edmund and he's pacing the aisles and he looks, his eyes look weird. And then he comes over to me and immediately goes, sorry. Like I said, he speaks very limited English. He's like, sorry. And I said, what happened? And I already know the story. He attacked, physically attacked. He assaulted somebody. He did attack him. He, he, he didn't just try. Like this wasn't just yelling or something. He actually attacked him with a metal object. If he had, if he had hit him in the head with that, he would have caused severe injury. 
If he had hit him in the body, he could have really hurt him too. And they had this scuffle where like one of them had to slam the other against the wall and stuff. And they said while this was going on, Edmund was running in and out of the break room. And they said it was like he was on drugs. He wasn't. But it was like he was in this blackout rage. And so I found Edmund and I was just like, what happened? And he's like, he's like, I'm sorry. Like, and I was like, why'd you attack him? And he's like, he's not a hard worker. And I'm just like, you have to go. We have to, we have to let you go. That's just an immediate, you're immediately fired. You just, you physically attacked another employee for no reason. But I didn't even like scold him. I wasn't even mad. I just said like, you have to go. And what's really weird is Edmund, he was about to leave anyway, because he was going to his grandma's birthday. He had asked me a couple days earlier, he's like, is it okay if I leave early on Sunday? It's my grandma's birthday party. And I was like, of course, that's a really good reason to leave early. So he had a car waiting for him with his family in it, picking him up to go to his grandma's birthday. And five minutes before he's about to leave, he just goes into this blackout rage. The crashing, because we looked in the warehouse where they heard all the crashing and banging. And it would have taken place right in front of the altar, which is interesting. But the only, there was no damage or anything amiss. But we had this pallet of metal uh, metal shelves. And so I'm guessing he was pounding on the metal shelves out of anger. And then he just like ran in and out of the break room attacking this guy. And I was just like, we have to let you go, you know. I'm sorry, you know, I wish I didn't have to. You've been a great worker. And I told him too, I was like, if you ever need a reference, I'll do it. Like, even though it's kind of crazy to give someone a reference who physically attacked another employee, I told him, you know, I know that you're a good man. But, you know, you can't be here anymore. And uh, I called my boss, who's the regional manager. He's in the store a few days a week. And I was like, listen, this just happened. And he goes, what? Like, he thought he misheard me. Because everybody knows Edmund to be just this very diligent, responsible, hardworking guy. And so me and Edmund stood in front of the store for a few minutes. He had tears in his eyes. And he's like, I'm sorry. Like, I know what I did was wrong in broken English. And then he just got picked up by his family and left. And, you know, Willie was fine. I was like, you guys can just chill for a while. <laughs> you just got attacked. But, uh, and then Edmund, ever since then, he, every day he's been sending me a lot of texts. And he's like, I'm sorry, am I fired? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I've been as nice as possible because I'm concerned. Like, you know, I, I like again, like I told him, I'll, I'll be a reference. I know he, he's apparently never had a job before this, even though he's 29. But I'm like, I'll be a reference. Like, if he gets another job and I give him a reference, it's out of my hands if he attacks somebody else. He's obviously a very troubled man with a, a lot of dark energy. But I couldn't figure it out. You know, why did he attack him? They work together one day a week. And, and, and Willie is called out a couple of those days. So in the last month, they probably worked together two or three times. Even if Willie's not a hard worker, like what led him to go into this blackout rage and try to hurt him really badly and cause damage to the building? The only thing, I don't, I don't know that there's a rational explanation. You know, he said he's not a hard worker. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's my problem. As the boss, it's my problem if somebody's not a hard worker. 
you know, there's nothing Willie does that inconveniences or hurts Edmund. So, yeah, it can hurt your morale to see somebody slacking off, but it shouldn't affect him. The only rational explanation I can come up with is maybe he has a thing for that same girl, even though he's never really talked to her. Maybe since it's obvious that Willie and that girl are seeing each other now, maybe he was jealous. Oh, the slacker got the girl. I don't even think it's that, though. I think he was it's it's like he was possessed. And he, he has been giving off weird vibes the last couple of weeks. Like there was an incident where I had to fire this woman who I believe is a drug addict. She was always calling out out with elaborate explanations, not descriptions, but explanations for why she was missing work and leaving early. And it was just getting worse and worse. So I fired her. She had left her vape behind when she got fired. And then somebody said they saw two people were standing near it. And they said Edmund walked up and goes, oh, I've been looking all over for this or in broken English. I've been looking for this. And he took it. And then the woman who got fired like was texting people. She's like, has anyone seen my vape? It looks like this. And they were like, Edmund took it. And I'm like, that's weird. He's not a thief. He doesn't vape. Why would he just take her vape? And people were kind of upset. They're like, you know, he, we saw him take it. And I was like, you know, she's a fired employee. I'm just going to kind of let it go right now, even though I'm really hard on anything like that. Like someone stole a drink from the employee fridge and I flipped my lid. The only time I've been mad, the only time anybody's seen my, me lose my cool is when an employee's drink got stolen. That's ruining trust between employees is one of the biggest sin sins you can make for me as a boss. You know, customers steal just a fact of life. But if an employee steals from another employee, I'm livid. But when this vape got stolen, it was so weird that I didn't know what to do. I'm like, that's not like Edmund. Edmund's very responsible, just does his job, doesn't cause any problems. Why would he take the fired chick's vape? But it's part of this pattern of behavior of the last couple of weeks, the hiding in the red room, asking me weird questions about things he knows the answer to, taking long lunches. Something's been building in him. And this new girl who started, who I really like and trust her judgment, she's like, she only knows Edmund for the last week. She's like, she had said something to somebody about him the other day before all this happened. Like she, she got a weird vibe from him. And then after she's like, you know, I, I was getting a really weird vibe from him. And I'm like, me too, but he's been such a good worker, I didn't really think anything of it. And then he violently attacks somebody. And I, I was talking to my boss, and he's like, that's never happened in the history of the company. An employee has never physically assaulted another employee. So I'm like, he got possessed. He's this very intense young man, Edmund is. But we kind of chalked it off to he's foreign he, interestingly, though, like a few days ago, he was wearing a Selena hoodie. Selena, the Latin pop star who got murdered. And it was like this very like artsy Selena hoodie that he must have gotten online. It, it had her picture. It was a red hoodie and it had her picture on it. And then like this white kind of cool text that says Selena. 
And then the sleeves have roses printed up and down in white. And I was like, oh, nice Selena hoodie. And it just, it was really a strange thing because, like, I just know him as this, you know, Asian kid who is into anime and works hard and doesn't say anything. So him wearing a Selena hoodie, I was like, there's more to him than meets the eye. And I asked him about the Selena hoodie and he just said, she got murdered by her manager. And I was like, yeah. Or I was like, oh, I was like, I was like, yeah, I know she got murdered. I didn't realize it was the manager. And he's like, yeah, it was the manager, which is kind of a weird conversation, you know? Yeah, I was like, yeah, she got murdered by her manager. Okay, so there's been some like kind of weird stuff about him, but I like the weirdness. Like up until this point, aside from the vape thing and stuff, like I generally like that he's weird. But apparently, this quiet hatred has been brewing in him, and it really seems like possession of some kind like he just he he truly just snapped you know you hear about people snapping he snapped and he violently and randomly attacked this kid who works for us for no reason no logical reason and then he was texting me today and he's like am i not allowed in the building and i'm like yeah you can't come back and he's like i want to apologize to my boss my boss like he i was his boss but he knew my boss as well a little bit. And he's like, I want to apologize to him in person. He's like, I take full responsibility for the damage I caused. And I'm really sorry I attacked Willie. And he's like, I know I know you have to fire me and stuff. He's, he's been very understanding. But it's it's bothered me that he's been texting me so much. Because like it's it's over and done. Like I, I just keep telling him, I'll be a reference for you. I can tell he still has a very fond opinion of me and everything. And he's, I, I, I don't feel like there's any weird energy directed toward me, but I'm just, I'm trying to keep this text message communication very simple and just be like, I know, I told him, I know you're a good man. And I told him, I'm not mad at you. I'm just very surprised. And that's the truth. I'm not mad at him. If he had hurt Willie, I'd probably be more upset, but because nobody got hurt and I don't care that he damaged the building really. It's not something I'm going to have to pay for. My thought is just the honest truth. I'm not mad at you. I'm, I'm just surprised that that happened. And so I've told him, I'll be a reference for you, and I will. If somebody called me and said, hey, this guy Edmund worked for you, I'd be like, he was a really hard worker. And I won't tell them he violently attacked somebody. Maybe I should. Maybe the right thing to do would be to tell them that. But I, I, I want to help this kid. He's troubled. I feel like, I don't know, in some weird way, I feel like all these things I'm talking about, like this weird feeling in the building, this curse, it manifested him in the form of this violent episode. And it's not going to happen with him. Nobody else is going to do that. If everybody starts trying to kill each other, well, now I'm, I'm fucking leaving. But as of right now, I'm like, that's how it affected him i'm seeing the ways that it's affecting different people and right now like my protege is really sick with a diabetic issue he hasn't been in for three days so it's like i'm like is is he sick because of that but then there's this other toxic stuff going on involving a girl there i'm not going to detail it but just there's that going on too which is a big influence and even if it's not directly impacting anybody it does impact them. And she's, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but like, 
there's been a lot of gossip going around. Gossip. There's been a lot of malicious gossip. And I've been trying to stop it from happening. So there's this kind of weird energy. I don't I don't think it's a inherently negative energy, but I think it's manifesting negatively in people who are in the world people who are of the world. This is what I was going to get into a second ago. I think I'm noticing that like the drama and gossip, it's really impacting certain people who I think are caught up in the world. They're caught up in, in sort of the, the human story. And I think some of these people too are, are the ones who are seeing ghosts. And I know this sounds really out there, but I'm starting to, and this isn't something that I plan. I didn't, I, a month ago, I didn't plan on viewing things this way. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to frame everything as some supernatural event. But I, now that I'm starting to kind of see it unfold, I'm like, this is manifesting in different people in different ways. For me, like, I'm a soldier of this. You know, I'm not crying. Again, this isn't about bravado, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm much more. I like my my own sense of spirituality revolves around this stuff, and so I think with me, I don't think this stuff has been. I'm having to deal with all of it as the manager, but more and more, I'm not seeing myself as a store manager. I'm just seeing myself as like the the steward guiding the ghost ship and some people are jumping off some people are fighting some people are getting sick and i'm just the steward i just have to keep my cool i just have to deal with these issues as they come up the best i can and it's not even about business anymore my first few weeks my first month being the manager i was like oh i got to make sure sales are good i care about all that still I care about all the things a store manager has to care about, but more and more, I'm just like, oh, this is about resilience. This is about staring at the burning bush while it burns and just being unaffected. And on top of all this, you know, our store, the discount side of our store attracts a lot of thieves. And these are lost souls who wander in. And I can, I'm at a point where every single one of them I know the second they walk through the door, who's a lost soul that we have to get out of the store. They're like zombies or ghosts. They're people who aren't even really part of, part of life anymore. They're, they're drug addicts. They're criminals. There's a couple every day, sometimes more. Some days we're lucky and there's few, if any. But there's these lost souls. Some of them are scary. Some of them are just sad. Some of them are just people and you want them out of the store. And I don't judge them. Even though I don't want them to steal or cause incidents, I just want them out. So here I am, the steward of this ghost ship. And it does, when you're in the store all day, you kind of do feel like you're in a ship. You're just, you got the crew doing what they need to do to keep the ship going. And when you think about ghost ships, you don't really think of the the idea behind a ghost ship is like, oh, there's there's no humans on board. It's just ghosts or it's empty. You don't really think about a ghost ship with real live human beings on it. That's what this is. This this is a ghost ship, but it's real human beings. I'm the captain. And there's real hum I have a real human crew. 
and these ghosts wander in, these people who are just, you know, the humanity has left them. And I say that, I see them as human, but these criminals and thieves and addicts, they're just gone. They're like these creatures who no longer, they're like possessed. It's like they no longer have that spark that makes them a person you can connect to. And they just come in. Some of them are hostile. Some of them seem nice. But they're all going to steal. They're all going to turn the bathroom into a disgusting mess. And you, I just see them and we're like, oh, we got to get them out of here. We got to get them off the ship. And so we have these lost souls wandering in. Meanwhile, the people working for us, some of them have been lost souls themselves, and I've had to get rid of them. Other ones are great people, but I can tell that it's hard for them to be on the ghost ship. Others, I'm realizing, are up to the challenge. Like the, the woman who is, has been nine years off of meth... She was homeless, like bouncing between relatives with, she has kids and a husband, but they were like homeless, bouncing between relatives. She got cancer while she was homeless. She recently got her own place finally. And I wasn't sure about her. I had to reprimand her a few weeks ago because she was calling out sick and missing so much work. But rather than fire her, I, I was like, I'm going to give her a chance. You know, I, I still have to keep her in check sometimes, but she's really stepped up and she cares and she's tough. Like she was a lost soul who's now gotten her life on track. And I can tell it means something to her. She's the one who saw the little girl tonight. She's the one who saw the little girl ghost. But I can tell that like she can handle it. She can handle the lost souls wandering in. And she knows them better than anybody. I joke around with her and I'm like, I'm the head of security, but you know, you're my number two because... They walk through the door. She, she was hanging out with those people 10 years ago. Some of them she even knows. We've had a number of thieves, and she's like, oh, yeah, I know them. Watch that person, because she used to hang out with my ex-boyfriend. Oh, I went to school with her. She's, she's still on drugs, you know. So she's really great at that. Um, and she's, she has that resilience. You know, she... Um, She's in the world, but she has a certain resilience and toughness that I think, I think she's, she's capable of being part of the crew of this ghost ship that I've ended up stewarding. There's some other people who I think are, it's kind of, they're crumpling a little bit. Being part of the crew of this ghost ship, they crumple. And we'll see what happens with them. But more and more, I'm just like, I just have to keep at it. I just have to keep leading the ship. I know this sounds wild. It sounds grandiose. I sound delusional. But it's starting to make odd sense to me. Whereas before, it's like, it's a new job. It's paying me more than I've ever been paid in my life. I get a ton of overtime. It's a lot. I mean, the last two weeks, I've worked 60 hours. I've had one day off. I've worked 60-hour weeks, so like 20 hours of overtime. I mean, my, my rate of pay, I hate to talk about this stuff, but my rate of pay 
is higher than I've ever been paid. And then I'm making 20 hours overtime a week the last two weeks, whatever it is, something like that. And, uh, but it's not even about the money. I mean, obviously it is. The reason why I'm at this job is in large part, it's a big financial help right now. That's why you go to a job. But I, when I'm there and everything, I'm not thinking about being paid and all that. I, I, I'm like, I care. The reason why they promoted me to manager is because I'm responsible and I care and I'm cool headed. And, uh, I've, my mindset, though, has shifted from just being the store manager and doing the things a store manager does to now kind of seeing it as I am the steward of this ship. I was meant to be here right now. Who knows what will happen in a few months? Who knows what will happen tomorrow? But as of right now, I was meant to have this weird experience. I was meant to get a job in a totally new industry to me, retail and sales. I was meant to be the guy who opens this building every morning and closes it every night. I was the guy who was meant to be alone in the haunted building. There are nights, I, I don't go look at the altar every night. But the other night, all this stuff had been going down at work. Serious stuff, like a woman quit. And they all, when they quit, they, you know, I'm not saying this to flatter myself, but when I quit, they're all like, you know, I love you. And working for you, but I just can't do it anymore for this reason, that reason. And uh, there was a night where like some stuff had really come to a head. And I was alone in the building. And I just kind of walked around. I don't normally do that. Like when, when the store is closed, I just want to like count the till and go home. But this night I kind of was like, I need to walk around. I need to go around just like I did probably the first time I closed where I'm just like, yeah, I'm alone in this building. I'm alone in this big, weird, dark, scary building. But the other night I was like, I just need to go around. And I went back and I found out recently that the altar, it has curtains on each side of it. And there's a little like chamber you can go in behind it. Like if you pull the curtain back, you can go behind the stained glass window and there's a standing room. And the owner installed lights behind it. Like lights that perfectly fit, like big industrial lights, but they perfectly fit the shape of the altar. And he put them there so that there's light shining through the stained glass, even when it's dark, and those lights never go out. And the only lights that are that work are are they highlight the baby, who I assume is baby Jesus. But the the way the lights our position like are, are designed to light up the stained glass window, but the only ones that work are the ones behind the baby Jesus. But I went back there alone by myself. I went back into the little, the little like chamber behind the stained glass window. And I took a picture of myself like looking up and I didn't intend it to be this way, but this woman I don't know if it's Mary or who it is, but this woman is like reaching down and her hand is kind of like resting on me and, and she's looking down at me. And I didn't plan on it looking that way. And I wouldn't normally talk, oh, I took a selfie behind the stained glass window and the woman's looking down at me. I wouldn't even normally talk about this, 
but I, it was kind of symbolic for me. Like it was kind of when I, when I started to kind of come to terms with my role there. And again, this isn't some grandiose thing. When I'm there 10 hours a day, I'm the manager. I'm just doing manager things. But in my own mind at the end of the night is when I kind of think about this. And I took this photo and it, the photo was of significance to me. I discovered that this chamber existed behind the stained glass window and I was just, I stood back there for a minute and I was like, I didn't know you could actually, it's kind of like being inside of the altar. Essentially you are, even though it's behind the altar, it's like, it's this little, it's about two feet, two feet wide, like, and you can go just stand in this little curtained area between the lights and the stained glass window. And nobody would even know you're back there. You could hide there. And I was like, this is weird. I'm essentially inside of the altar right now. And I took a picture of myself because the lighting is great. Because it has these like long vertical lights that are on 24 hours a day. It, it's really cool lighting if you take a photo of yourself. But the photo was of significance to me. I was like, this really captures where I'm at right now. I ended up in this place where I'm the captain of this ship. There's all kinds of things outside of my control. There's some toxicity outside of my control. And I wish it was in, in my control, but it's not. There's all kinds of, I'm, I'm really dealing with so many different issues between the customers and the employees. I'm dealing with so many shredded lives and people who seem to have it together, but don't. And then people who do have it together, but I'm dealing with all of these different people's lives. And, you know, like I was saying the other night on here, like to all these people too, all these individuals, whatever they're feeling right now is the most important thing to the world in the world to them. And when they come to me about a problem, I hear it and I'm like, oh man, this isn't important. This isn't something that anybody needs to worry about. But that person, they're going around all day at work thinking about it, ruminating. When they go home at night, it bothers them. And so at the very least, I have to hear them out and potentially do something about it. And they don't realize that this is what I'm dealing with all day, every day. And every day it's something new. But that's kind of part of my role is just to absorb that. Part of being the manager, being the captain, is that all of these individuals come to me with their problems and it's the most important thing in the world to me, in the world to them. And therefore, it has to be important to me. I have to address it one way or another. I have to know about it at the very least. Same thing for customers. When I'm dealing with a customer, oh, I got, I got charged 50 cents extra for shoes. I got charged 50 cents extra for shoes. I need a refund. You know, that's the most important thing in the world to them right now. And I have to deal with that. And I can, it's easy. And my buddy, the, the older black man, you know, he's always commenting. He's like, I don't know how you stay so cool. And he means like cool headed because he's seen me deal with, he's seen me throw people out. He's seen me deal with just annoying customers. He's seen me deal with thieves. And he's like, I don't know how you stay so cool. And I'm not saying this in a self-congratulatory way, but it's like I really feel nothing. Like my boss, who's been dealing with thieves and people for years, 
he gets really mad. Like when there's a thief, he wants to actually kick their ass. Like he, he he's always like, man, I wish I could just run up and knock that guy out. I don't feel that way. I'll be sitting there dealing with, I had a guy who we suspected was a thief. He did buy something, but then he tried to return it. He didn't have his receipt and he didn't have a credit card that he had used. So we can't do it. If they don't have a receipt or the card they use, we can't actually give them a return. And he was trying to reason with me, but there was no way. And I didn't trust him anyway. I didn't trust that this was a, a legitimate return. I felt like there was something to it. And he was trying to reason with me and I said, I just can't do it. You know, I'm sorry. And then he's like, I'm not going to freak out because he was clearly a meth head. He's like, I'm not going to freak out because you were wearing that same shirt the other day. One, I wasn't, but I was wearing a very similar shirt. But it tells me he's observant. Because I didn't even ring him out or anything. He just saw me walking around. But he saw me and he saw that I was wearing a very similar shirt, like the same brand. And he's like, you were wearing that same shirt the other day. I remember you. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then when he, when I told him we couldn't give him the return, he like stormed out and he was like, like, this is wrong. Like, you know, this is going to come back on you. And he goes and change your shirt. It stinks. And I'm like, I, I, w I did change my shirt. I just, in response, I just said, okay, I will. But, uh, what's funny about that though, is just like this guy insulted my shirt, but that's what I deal with. You know, I deal with that. I deal with these people, these thieves, these messed up people. To that guy, the most important thing in the world, even if there was nothing underhanded about what he was trying to do with this return, the most important thing in the world to him at that moment was getting his money back. Whatever he was going to do with it, I don't know, but the most important thing to him was getting his money back. And I had to deal with that in that moment. When an employee has a problem, the most important thing in the world to them is that. The guy who snapped the other day, who was possessed, who went into a, a truly a psychotic episode. Because that's what happened to this guy, Edmund. It's a fake name, but similar to his real name. He had a psychotic episode. He snapped and violently attacked somebody with a metal object. But whatever was going on in his mind was the most important thing in the world to him at that moment. So... I as the manager, I have to, this is something that's true. I mean, I've had other management jobs in, in offices and tech and things, but it's a much different world when you're in a store. It's a far different world. Like what you have to keep track of, the way you have to manage people, the things they care about, the way they interact with each other, the things they gossip about, what bothers them, what makes them happy. It's, it's very different than anything I'm used to. And I, when someone has an issue, I take it seriously. I don't dismiss anything anybody says, but part of what I'm doing is that. I'm kind of absorbing, you know, I'm sort of their confessor. You know, they come to me and confess certain things, and I, I take that in. And I can. But what I was getting at was like, I don't feel anything is a thing. Like when the, the older black guy says to me, like, I don't know how you keep so cool. 
when you have a thief screaming in your face. I haven't had anybody scream in my face, but I've had them get pretty upset when I throw them out or something. But he uh, he's like, I don't know how you stay so cool every time. And I'm just like, the truth is, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. I just, I'm trying to just resolve this. I'm trying to get them out of the building. That's my only thought. I want them gone. What can I do to resolve this to where it doesn't hurt the company and they're gone? But I don't lose my cool because I'm, I don't feel anything. I'm not part of it. I dealt with it. What, what a coworker termed a Karen a couple months ago. She was trying to get a deal on paper towels. Paper towels, they were like, it was like two bucks for a package of paper towels or something. She's like, oh, well, the, the sign makes it look like it's $2 for an entire box of paper towels. And I think you should honor that. And I was like, well, the sign clearly says it's for two packs of paper towels. And she was trying to throw my employees under the bus. She's like, well, he said this. And this girl, she came over to me and she she said and I, I was like, you know, it was when I first became the manager and I was like, I got to stand up for my people here. I have to show my employees that I have their back and I won't just bend over to make this bitch happy. And so I just said, no. I walked over and I showed her the sign and I said, look at the sign. It says two packs are a dollar, two dollars. And she was like, I was like, nowhere does it say an entire box. And I could have easily just given in. It wouldn't have hurt the company to give away a, like three extra sets of paper towels for cheap. It wouldn't have caused any, and it might have made this lady happy. Maybe she would have gone out and screamed from the rooftops, what a great business we are. Maybe it would have been a net positive. But I remember thinking, this lady's harassing my employees and trying to get a deal that we're not offering by claiming we we need to honor something that we didn't even advertise. She's not going to get, I was like, this woman is not going to get what she wants right now. I made a decision right there. She's not going to get what she wants from me. And you know what? Like after I, she ended up buying the paper towels for the price that she was supposed to. And she just left with her tail tucked between her legs. But all the employees, you know, they, they were excited. They were really happy that I, put her in her place. But I remember what I remember is she was so awful. She was raising her voice. She was a hysterical middle-aged bitch. And she was, I remember looking in her eyes as she was gesturing because she was gesturing wildly. And I remember thinking she's in a different reality from me. I don't feel like she is in the world right now getting a couple extra sets of free paper towels is the most important thing in the world to her right now. And I'm not experiencing or feeling anything. I'm not feeling defensive. I'm not feeling offensive. I'm not, I'm not a part of this. I have a, a, a role in this. I have to talk to her and explain, just not explain. I have to describe reality to this woman but i'm not going to feel 
my adrenaline didn't spike, even though she was yelling in my face pretty much. I felt nothing. And that's how I felt in most of these situations. There have been a few situations that I avoid because I can see it going very badly. Like we've had some thieves that are scary people and I don't confront them. There was a guy today. I had to call the cops on him. He had tried to steal some stuff yesterday. Yesterday he came in the store. The hardest part about the thieves is they waste so much of your time. Because I'll watch them. I'll follow them. Or I'll have one of the employees follow them. Often that's enough. They start to realize everywhere they go, there's an employee a few feet away. And they leave. But uh, with uh, sometimes it just doesn't work. And the problem is they wear you out. Because these thieves, they go to stores all day long. Many of them are banned from other stores. We found out that some of these thieves are banned from other stores in the area. They go to stores. They don't work. They don't do anything. They're on drugs. They go into the store and they spend hours. And they go through every single thing in the store. They go through every single little thing. And we have a lot of things. A lot of things. And you reach a point where I'm like, I can't spend all day following this guy. We can't spend all day watching this guy. And then you stop following him and they steal. But uh, what I was going to say, though, is like they, they really wear you out. There was a guy yesterday like that who he came in the store. We told him he, he had to put his backpack behind the counter, which most even the thieves, most of them like we have thieves who come in with empty duffel bags. Oh, I wonder what you're going to do with that. Oh, you're just a guy walking around with an empty duffel bag. Backpacks are one thing. Like when I when I go out for long walks, I'll bring a backpack with me and bring it into stores. Nobody goes around with an empty duffel bag. <laughs> you know, it's it's just so blatant. And some of them are cool. They're like there's a lot of nice thieves. They're like, "Oh, I understand." And they go look around and they just leave because it's like, "Oh, I guess I, I can't steal here." We had a guy with a backpack yesterday, and I'd seen him before, and he was already somebody I was suspicious of, and he set his backpack down next to the counter, and so I, I grabbed it, and I was like, I'll put this over here to be safer, you know, behind the cashier, and he goes, I want my backpack where I, where you left it. He's like, I want my backpack where I left it, and I go, okay, you know, okay, asshole, but I was like, okay. Then he, he proceeds to spend like an hour going through the, all of the toys. And he's looking at all the Legos. And he's just like stockpiling them. And then finally he goes out to his car, which is parked right in front of the store. He goes and he like, he, he, he does something. And then he comes back in the store. And then... He gets a shopping cart and he starts loading up all the Legos he stockpiled into the shopping cart. And I look outside and I notice his car is gone. And I was, and then I immediately go, oh. And I go around to the side of the building and he backed it in right by the emergency exit. And this is what a number of them do. They, they back in by the emergency exit. And the emergency exit doesn't have an alarm on it, so you can go through it. And then they they try to pile stuff up or they get a cart and they try to escape through the emergency exit and the car is right there waiting. Sometimes they have a driver so they can just 
get out and go. Sure enough, he had a driver. So he has someone waiting in, in the car, backed in, and there's no reason to park. Like that side of the building, there's no reason to park there. There's certainly no reason to start out parked in front of the store, go inside, collect things, go out, go outside, move the car to the side of the building right by the emergency exit. There's no reason to do that. So I'm like, oh, I know his plan. I've caught other people trying to do it too. A couple of people have, have actually succeeded. And I noticed, sure enough, he's pushing the cart of Legos toward the emergency exit. So I just kind of start walking around that area. And then he, they try to lose you. They try to like, they try to go a different direction. And then everywhere you go, everywhere they go, there you are. So he realizes he's not going to succeed. He takes the Legos up to the cash register pretends like he's going to pay for them. It's $340 worth of Legos. His cards declined. Every card that he tried was declined. So he's like, oh, I have to go to the bank and I'll be back. He goes out. He goes across the street and down a ways. His driver pulls out from the side of the building and meets him way down there and they drive off. Well, he comes back today and he just parks in front of the building and he's just sitting in his car. And he's like going out, he's getting in the back seat, going, doing something in the back seat. And he opens his trunk and just leaves it open. And he's just sitting there. And I go out and I stand in front of the building and I just stare at him. He's staring back at me. He knows that I know he's back. He knows that I, I prevented his plan yesterday. But he's just sitting there staring. And he's a scary guy. This is one of those guys, he was very hostile about his backpack He's a scary guy. He's the kind of guy where I realistically think he could have a gun and shoot me. But I'm just staring him down. He's there for about 45 minutes just sitting in his car with the trunk open. I don't know what he was waiting for. But finally, I just called the cops. And sometimes the cops are very responsive. Sometimes they don't give a fuck. But if you call them about someone causing trouble at your store, they will try to help. They can't do much, but they'll at least show up. So I called the cops. Our store has a similar name to a, a completely different store, a car a car automotive place in the same parking lot. But it's like way across the opposite side of the parking lot. The cops get there. They go to the wrong store thinking we're the other store. He sees them in his rearview mirror. He's sitting there for 45 minutes, not a care in the world. He pulls out and starts driving away with his trunk open the cops pull him over when he gets to where they are. They don't arrest him or anything, so he probably didn't have a warrant or anything, but they eventually let him go, but that solved the issue. But anyway, those are the sorts of people I deal with. Don't remember why I started going. I, I just These thieves are a huge part of my life now. You can tell a thief the second they walk in. They have an aura. It's a spiritual energy. Their body language, their face, their demeanor. And it's not even a stereotype thing. It's not race. It's not any one factor. But there, there, you start to notice the patterns and you start to be able to spot them the second they come in. There's something about their aura. They come in and I immediately go, oh, I got to follow him. I got to watch him.
And so far, I haven't been proven wrong once. Every single person who has that aura either attempts to steal or does something so shady, behaves in such a shady way that it confirms my suspicion. I'm not saying I won't ever be wrong, but so far I haven't been wrong once. So those are the lost souls, though. Some of them are hostile. Some of them are mean, nasty, post-human, pre-human. Some of them you just feel terrible for. You're just like, that person is fucked. But they're part of the ship. Or rather, they're not part of the ship, but they're part of the ship's course. You know, the ship has these people. They attach their rowboats. They try to come aboard. Sometimes you let them hang out for a minute, but then you're like, this person has to get off the ship. Most people are fine. Your negativity bias focuses on them rather than the hundreds of people who come in every day. Not Don't cause a single problem. Your negativity bias, though, focuses on them, unfortunately. But anyway, um, on a di- completely different note, getting away from the haunted store and being a steward of this ghost ship who's seeking a crew that can handle what it is to be aboard a ghost ship. I was thinking today about you know, announcing your plans. I have a friend who he announces all of his plans before he does them. I was talking to somebody else today about this a little bit, but uh, I have a friend who like he announces everything he, he does like before he even does it, and especially before it's even done, and it never pans out. He makes this big deal. Oh, here's my new idea. Here's my new idea. And he's filled with a million ideas. And he lets you know his plan and it never materializes. You know, it's the same for any kind of like positive life decision you make. You don't announce that you're going to lose weight or quit smoking. You just lose weight and quit smoking. And if you bring it up while you're already doing it or after the fact, that's different. When I quit drinking, I didn't tell anybody initially. I was like, I'm going to do this. But I want to make sure that I'm doing this before I tell people I'm doing this. And they tell people that like psychologically, like if you announce on social media or that you're going to do something positive, I'm going to lose weight. You get all this positive feedback. Oh, it's so great. Oh my God, it's so great. You're going to lose weight. Oh, good job. You get an unearned congratulations. What I, A congratulations unearned is how I would term it. And you get it, you know, a high from that. You get a pat on the back for something you haven't even done. And while it's good to have positive support, it's sometimes good to let people know what you're doing and get positive reinforcement. But there's a fine line between that and sabotaging it. And sometimes when you announce something that you're going to be doing before you do it, you sabotage it. And so I have this friend, I've known a lot, I've done this to myself a million times. That's how I know this. But I have a friend who's always announcing his plans and it never pans out. And if I'm feeling like a dick, sometimes I'll be like, whatever happened with that? And it's always like, oh, well, but it goes back to something Alan Watts said. And he, Alan Watts said, uh, 
never let the devil know your plans. And he said, because who do you think the devil is? It's you. Very real and true statement there. You know, never let the devil know your plans. Because you will sabotage your own plans. Not even intentionally. And even if it's not you, some sort of force will sabotage what you're doing. When you start expecting something that hasn't even happened yet. And if part of it is like you're getting this pat on the back for something you haven't done yet, in your mind you think you've already done it. And so you're like, oh, I already did that. I already accomplished that. Meanwhile, you didn't even do it yet. Like if I told people I'm quitting drinking, I'm quitting drinking. And they're like, oh, it's so awesome. Good for you. Oh, that's, oh congratulations. What are, you, what are you giving me positive reinforcement to? All I did is say something to you. All I did is say something out loud. And sometimes saying something out loud helps you commit to it. But again, it's a fine line. You can easily sabotage yourself. And so I try not to do that. I, I, it's hard not to do it. And I fail at it all the time. But I have gotten better at not announcing my plans. And I think there's something like you disrupt the magic. Even if it's something mundane. You disrupt the magic when you announce something. You disrupt the magic when you tell somebody you're going to do something. You let the devil know your plans. And so it does play into the ghost ship because I don't really have any plan, like any plans I have, any vision I have for what I'm doing at this store right now. I don't even acknowledge it to myself. I just keep doing what I'm doing. Every day is different. I have to wake up. I know that I have to open the store and close it. I know that I have to do certain things throughout the day to make sure things get done well. And that I learn that I get better at what I'm doing and I keep doing what I'm doing. That's just a daily thing. When I close at the end of the night, it's the end of that day. Hopefully I can apply what I learned to tomorrow, but when that day is over, it's over. I'm not thinking about the next day. I'm not thinking about next week. I'm not thinking about next month. I have no you know, concrete plans. I have no material plan. In part because I don't want to sabotage that plan. You know, I think it's a... I've talked a lot about discipline on this show, and I think that's a big part of discipline. You form a discipline. You have a philosophy. I'm doing this thing, and I'm going to keep doing it. And I kind of have a philosophy. And philosophy is such a grandiose word. But really, it's just it's a mindset. It's kind of a framework for how you're going to do certain things, how you're going to think about things. And so you, you develop a discipline and you establish a philosophy around that. And you don't really have to make many plans. You can react. Like your reactions are the result of that discipline and that philosophy. And so you want to maintain that. But you don't have to make it any more than it is. You just have to do it. And so that's the mindset I have in life right now. And, you know, a lot of the people I've known who have had plans, like, it's great to have a goal. It's great to have a vision of yourself. 
But more often than not, when someone has a plan, it could be something they're just doing right now. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to clean my house this weekend. Sometimes that person does go and they clean their house. They do a great job and they're done. Many times, though, they don't. Many times something gets in the way. Many times they get in their own way. So part of planning is having goals, having a vision for what you want to do and how you want to do it, but not thinking about it. It's meditation in a way. Not letting your thoughts get in your way. Because your thoughts are what fuels the devil. You know, your thoughts are what fuels the thing that's going to sabotage you, the thing that's going to get in your way. Rumination. I talked about that in the rumination episode. When you ruminate, when you obsess over your thoughts, they become unmanageable. Something that might be minor that's ruminated on metastasizes into something destructive, something that you can no longer deal with. So the best thing you can do is not think about it. And that's part of what meditation teaches you. I have thoughts, but if I can actually sit with myself, sit here in this world and see each thought as it comes and push it away, that's just one part of meditation, but it's a big part. I experience reality in a completely different way. And it's not a lazy way. Even though meditation seems kind of lazy, you just sit there and you do nothing. It's the opposite of lazy. It requires a discipline and philosophy. But what you're trying to do is not ruminate. Because all thought is is a rumination waiting to happen. All thought is going to distract you. I think all the time. Obviously, this shows an example of how neurotic my brain actually is. But I've learned a lot in recent years about getting that under control. And not getting it under, under control with a tight grip. But just letting it kind of go. And that gives you a far greater range of control. But yeah, it was on my mind today. And thinking about this friend of mine in particular, he's somebody that I'm working with, not at work, but he's somebody that I, I'm engaged with in a project. And it's really difficult because he just doesn't see things the same way. And he's very into planning and ideas. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. But it's draining because I know, and probably deep down he knows, that nothing's really going to come of it. And when things do happen, it's not something that you overthought. It's not something that you announced before it was even finished. It goes back to this friend of mine I had in high school. We were into the same music. We'd go to concerts together. Neither of us had been in a band and we had all these ideas for bands we were going to start. We never did. We came up with these plans. Oh, we came up with a band name and 
what we were going to sound like and what we were going to do before we even picked up an instrument. And then when I realized nothing was ever going to come of it, we just, we stopped talking about that. You know, we, we just never, nothing ever happened. But what he would do, which was funny and it was kind of cute, is I remember him building an entire website for this band he was going to start. He hadn't even started the band yet. Cart before the horse and all that. But he hadn't even started the band yet. But he came up with like this vision for the band, this aesthetic, this band name. He had everything done except for the band itself. There was no music even. He hadn't even written music. He hadn't even found bandmates. But he had this whole vision, and he designed an entire website for the band. Guess what? It never happened. That's a good example of what I'm talking about. He never actually did the thing that made what he wanted a reality. He just liked the idea of it. And he sabotaged himself. He let the devil know his plans, and the devil got in the way. But as Alan Watts says, who is the devil? Well, in that case, the devil was him. Something to remember, and it's, and it's hard for people to understand that if they don't know it. It's very hard for someone to understand that idea because it sounds crazy. It's superstitious. But a lot of superstition is valid. You know, it's not all just throwing salt over your shoulder. There's a lot of very valid superstition. And I've had good friends. Like, I think about my buddy Miles. Miles is somebody who, from the day I met him, he understood all of this. And keeps me in check. When I start planning, when I start thinking ahead too far, or doing things in such a way that it's a jinx. Like I've said things to him before and he said, you know, by saying that out loud, you're jinxing it. You know, you're, 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 you know, basically I, I, in his own way. Oh, by saying that you're jinxing it, you're cursing it. And I'm like, you're right. Because that's not crazy talk to me. That's something that's very real to me. And we as human beings, something about us, we want to do the thing that jinxes us. I don't even think it's self-destructive. I just think that we don't have the discipline, we don't have the resolve sometimes to stop ourselves. So we do the thing that jinxes us, even when we know that's a potential jinx. So I don't know, this guy that you know I'm dealing with, I love the guy. I think he's a great person. But collaborating with him, I've realized you're constantly jinxing everything. You know, my superstitious side is constantly being uh, engaged with. You're constantly causing me to engage with that. And if you don't know this, you don't know. But it's one of those things you learn. And I think some people have a better sense for it than others. It's like, it's like announcing someone's your girlfriend before they're your girlfriend. I've known people who have done that. I've probably done that. 
Like I remember this girl many years ago. We never dated. She was a friend of a friend in town here. And she was newly single. And she and I got along really well. We hung out a couple times with a group of people. And I'd met her brother and I really liked her brother. Like he he had some similar interests to me as me and played music and stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm going to get together. This girl's going to be my girlfriend. I'm going to get along really well with her family. Her brother and I are going to do something. Like I had this whole vision. This sounds so pathetic and insane. I was drinking a lot. But I remember thinking like, oh, she's newly single. Like this was meant to be. She's going to be my wife. And then like she got back together with her boyfriend. That was I wasn't heartbroken. I didn't have a big thing for her. But it was like I remember like I was thinking about this girl that I had met that I was interested in and I, I came up with this whole plan in my head. And I didn't even really know her or like her that much. Like I didn't have that strong of a I wasn't like smitten. It was almost like a business plan or something as as stupid as that sounds. But it was weird and I don't remember that happening. Like that hasn't happened with other women in me. Like when I was in high school or something, I'd meet a girl and be like, oh, this is going to happen. And then it didn't happen and I was disappointed and I was like, what was I expecting? And by expecting whatever it was I was expecting, I probably did something to jinx it or the, the expectation was some sort of nullifying magic that prevented it from happening. This sounds crazy to people, but if you know it, you know it. And you know it to be true. And uh, having expectations is one of the greatest roadblocks. Because it's different from having a goal. It's different from having like a tangible vision of something you want to realize. But I even think that's, uh, you know, the thing about creative stuff. I know that sometimes like when I, you know, when I'm drawing... If I have too concrete of a an idea of what it is I'm going to be drawing, like if I'm imagining what the drawing is going to be before it's even done or from the beginning, I'm not going to like it. It's not going to be what I want. Very rarely is that going to be. A couple times it's worked out. Same thing for music or anything. You know, if if your idea of what this is going to be is too concrete before you even start doing it, you have an expectation and that expectation is probably going to get in your way or disappoint you or bother you. And you'll be sad. You're setting yourself up. You're getting yourself high off of something that hasn't even happened yet. And you know what the funny thing that happens is when you actually do something you're proud of, when you actually accomplish something you're proud of, You can celebrate it, whatever, you can be happy. But for me personally, when I actually am proud of something, when I accomplish something that is essentially what I wanted to do, I just let go of it right when it's done. I move on to the next thing. I don't revel in it. I used to do that more. I used to rest on my laurels. I used to revel in my own internal sense of accomplishment. But when I look back at that, I wasn't even doing anything that I was that impressed with myself. And when I've done things that I am impressed with, where I have impressed myself, 
I feel little. I feel little to nothing. I just go, okay, I'm glad I did that. On to the next thing. So expectation. Because then if you don't do that, you're screwed. You're worse off than you would have been if you had never expected anything at all. And so right now in my life, I have no expectations, and it's, it's making things a lot more manageable. I have certain goals, practical goals, but I have no plans. I have no expectations. I have nothing that needs to happen to make me feel complete or make me feel anything in particular. There's things I want. It's okay to want things. Nothing wrong with wanting. But I, uh, I feel fortunate in that I have no real plans and therefore there's not anything in my way. Because when you have plans, all of a sudden you have things in your way. So it's a nice place to be as the steward of this ghost ship, this strange ghost ship that dominates the psyche of everybody who's part of the ghost ship. Everybody else in the world doesn't even know the ghost ship exists. But for those of us who are on it at this store, that's our world. The people there who have expectations and plans they seem to be the most frustrated and disappointed. They seem to run into the, the most problems. Unfortunately, and fortunately, I have to deal with everybody else's problems. But I really don't have problems myself. Not many. And I think part of that is exactly what I'm talking about here. So... That's what I have to do as, as the steward. The steward. That's what I have to do as the steward. Is I have to not try to see too far ahead. Because what's too far ahead is so foggy, I wouldn't even know what I'm looking at anyway. I wouldn't even be able to see the ghost up ahead in that fog. And you know what? I'm not trying to see the ghost. And I think the ghost actually... The ghost of the store that I'm at, but this could apply to anything. The ghost at the store has revealed himself to the people who need to see it. Maybe one of these nights I'll be alone in the store and the ghost will do something to scare the shit out of me. I'm not trying to claim that I'm any more evolved with this stuff than anybody else. But I think one of the reasons why these other people have been seeing things and hearing things, getting this sense of dread in this building. I think part of that is because the supernatural reveals itself to those who need to see it. And those who need to see the supernatural are the people who are too caught up in this world. They're in this world, but not of the world. It's the same for any kind of phenomenon that I talk about on here. Synchronicity. I used to be a synchronicity junkie. I used to just be waiting for the next synchronicity. Oh, what does it mean? Oh, can you believe that this came up with this? I still enjoy them. They still happen. And back then, I remember paying attention to you know Buddhism, the occult, 
And the people who really seemed to know what they were talking about always said, don't pay too much attention to that. And I was like, why not? It's interesting. They, it wasn't the mindset of the atheist who's like, uh, statistical probability means certain things or certain coincidences are going to happen at this rate. That wasn't the mindset of these spiritual and occult people I was listening to. The mindset of them was, yes, those things are happening. These reminders, these this synchronicity is happening, these coincidences, these cosmic coincidences. But don't put too much stock in them. Don't be preoccupied with them. And eventually, it made sense. At the time, it didn't. I was like, no, but this is amazing. It means there's other things going on in the universe. It means there's more than just, uh, you know, the run-of-the-mill normality we all experience every day. Something's communicating with us. You know, I used to be more that way. I still believe that. But once I, I came to know that, my perspective changed and I started to understand what that was. And those things reveal themselves to you more when you need to know them. Those things reveal themselves to you when you need to understand that there's something else going on that you can't see, which is the definition of occult, hidden. The hidden reveals itself to you when you need to be reminded of it most. Or when you're struggling to understand what the hidden actually is and why it is. And when you kind of start to understand that as best you can as a human being and move past it a little bit, which is different than dismissing it or ignoring it, but when you move past it, you don't necessarily need to see that. You don't need to have those days or weeks where it's one synchronicity after the next. You don't have to have those days and weeks where it feels like you're tripping. Trip. You don't need to have those anymore. Because you already learned what it was it was trying to communicate. So when people at work see ghosts and hear noises and get a weird sense for things. I think it's the hidden reminding those people, oh, you're in the world. You got to remember there's more to it than just this. There's more going on than just this. And I don't claim to be above or beyond anybody. But all of this stuff I'm talking about gives me a sense of peace. All of this stuff that is just flying into your field of vision, entering your ears, all of the weird stuff that goes on in life, it gives me a sense of peace because I'm no longer at a place where I need to try to understand it. I'm not claiming I even do understand it or that I even can understand it, but I no longer need to try to understand it. It's why Zen koans are the way they are. Here's something that's unanswerable. Here's something that makes no sense no matter how long and hard you think about it. Well, the idea isn't to eventually meditate and find the answer. 
it's it's kind of coming to understand you no longer need to try to find the answer and not just to intellectualize that but to actually feel that This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me